What up, everybody? Welcome to Real Basketball Talk. No hot takes. I'm your host, Daniel Artest. Today, we are talking game five of the NBA Finals. But before we get started, I would appreciate if you all subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Also, don't forget to follow Real Basketball Talk's No Hot Takes on Twitter at RBTalk underscore the support is appreciated but got my guest with me my co-host jay christian aka jc jackson there's united what's going on brother what's good i'm good man it's good to be here man yes sir always it's always good to be a part though yes sir so we're just gonna get right into it the golden state warriors overcame a tough shooting night from steph curry and with the addition of some bad fourth quarter play from Boston to take a command in 3-2 series lead with the 104-94 win over the Boston Celtics. Okay, I'm going to lead off the show talking about the supporting cast of the Warriors. And all this talk after game four and leading into game five was how Steph Curry was, was carrying his team, which he has. But in game five, the tables was turned, JC, turned that longtime Warriors motto, strength in numbers, into fruition for real. It was the role players actually holding it down while Steph, he only scored 16 points on 7 of 22 shooting. He was 0 for 9 from 3. And honestly, I don't think Steph had a real bad game. Maybe shooting-wise he had a bad game, but all game he was competing. He had 8 assists, so he's actually still making plays, still creating scoring opportunities for others. I like the way that Steph was competing, right? Um, And... Now, we know that Andrew Wiggins, he, he had a big game, and we're going to get into that later on in the show. But what's interesting was when Steph Curry has an off game like this, normally Klay Thompson will have a big game to offset that struggle from Curry. But that wasn't the case either because though Klay had a great game, he had 21 points on an efficient 7-14 shooting, efficient 5-11 from 3. It wasn't that same Klay Thompson game where he can go off for 40. So I was still surprised that they won this game. But, I mean, that they won this game still without the Splash Brothers really going off like that. But the guys I want to point out, Jordan Poole and Gary Payton the second, both were really good. They combined for 29 of the Warriors' bench points. They came with that energy, that intensity. They hit some tough shots. They also really defended. I was impressed with how they played, especially with Jordan Poole, who I was actually critical of for most of the series because he wasn't really there. But he was big last night, and he had that quarter buzzer beater to end the third. But this one was a huge moment of the game. It was very important because at that point, Boston actually took all the momentum from Golden State. After go after Boston beat, they was trailing most of the first half by double digits. Then they go on this big run. They had about six, or I think I want to say six or eight threes in a row. Like they was on fire. And Golden State was still in arm length though. And then at the end of the quarter, at the end of the third quarter, Jordan Poole he hits a forty footer to end the quarter, so they could go up one. The crowd is bugging out, and that basically was pretty much all she wrote for the game. But to to finally see. Jordan Poole put a game together at the right time, and, and uh, it was special. And, and what about Gary Payton II? And we seen his road to this point. Then the injury happened. Then he worked really hard to get back. They were saying he was in a sling. 
doing wind sprints and, and, and defensive slides. And that work showed because he was really engaged. I was really happy to see the impact he had on his game, you know, the anticipation. He got a lot of deflections too. Basically, like, what's your thoughts from the supporting cast in, in game five? I think that, like you said, Steph didn't necessarily have a great shooting game. You played before. Even if a guy like Steph, you get this the um the scouting report and the other team it has one guy glued to him the whole time. You free up all of your other guys. So Steph pretty much kind of sort of scored all of those points because now it's four guys versus four guys. That's that. And you get a guy like Wiggins, he's the second best guy right now on on, on Golden State, and he just goes off. Once those other, and then you got, like you said, Jordan Poole, cause, and as good as Gary Payton was on defense, he had 15 points, man. That's big. That's big. So these guys are, are defending, deflecting passes, scoring 15. Then you got Andrew Wiggins, who just played out of his mind. He's actually been playing great the whole playoffs. But, and that's all because the scouting report for game five was stay glued to Steph which I don't necessarily agree with, but we could talk about that later. But the supporting cast, I got to give them their props. Like you said, Boston is really doing some dumb stuff, but that doesn't mean that the other supporting tag cast of Golden State isn't doing what they're supposed to do. I'm actually, I'm not surprised, but they're doing what they do. Wiggins, I'm happy for him, man, because I've been a Wiggins advocate for a while, and now he's actually showing people, like, I'm an NBA player and I do this. So that's good. What more can you really say about Andrew Wiggins? Listen, just two years ago, when he was traded to Golden State, his former team wanted him going quick. Nobody else wanted to touch him. In, every, in everyone's minds, he was a bust. That's what you've seen on social media. That's all they say about him. I would say he's more of an underachiever than a bust at that point of the trade because I don't believe a player of Andrew Wiggins' caliber is a bust. He was just on a bad team, and on bad teams, you develop bad habits. But... You can say like those bad habits died off as he's navigating through his time with this Warriors team. And just when they needed him, Wiggins has been a godsend, not only in these finals, but the entire playoff run. You see him with the 17 points, 16 rebounds in game four. Let's talk about his game five real quick, because I thought that offensively, he was really impressive. He's using his length to get to the rim and finish. You've seen the dunk. The mid-range is working. And 26 points, 13 rebounds. And listen, I, I'm not going to go too far and say that Andrew Wiggins is making a finals MVP case, but he's definitely getting all the folks. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like his defense was spectacular. And I don't know about you. And I don't know about anybody else that's listening to this podcast later on. I've never seen Jason Tatum's shot get contested as much as I have in these finals. Like Wiggins is making it very uncomfortable for Jason Tatum. The length, the athleticism, the quick feet on defense, and he's making Tatum work really hard to get his points. What's your thoughts on on Andrew Wiggins, bro? I think he's showing everybody that he's not a bust. Facts. The the least, the worst word, for lack of a better term, you can use is the one you use as an underachiever. And that's even, like, reaching because, like, Dude has been solid his whole career because of uh, the timing that he came in and the trade with LeBron and then it all, it all got convoluted. 
and people really lost the fact that Andrew Wiggins is a solid basketball player, bro. Yeah, no, but when I'm saying underachieve, I'm talking about the status that come with being the number one pick. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? It's really not his fault, though. Like, we go, we're going to get into that later, though, because I have a question I want to ask you, but keep going on, bro. But I agree. He has quick feet, which is Jason Tatum's kryptonite. I'm watching him this whole playoffs, and Jason Tatum is a beast. But his zero to 60 is bad. So guys with quick feet give him problems because he can't keep them on the hit. They're always right there in his face on the shots. And believe it or not, Jason Tatum, even during the season, he was, there was a, a long stretch where he was shooting percentage-wise worse than Russell Westbrook, who was getting crucified at social media and his sports um, media outlets. And I remember talking to somebody and I said, you know, let's not act like Jason Tatum is shooting worse than Russell. His his shooting percentage has to be better. And it's because his when he plays guys with quick feet, like Andrew Wiggins and length, he can't really get by guys, which is I'm actually shocked. But he'll work on his game. I mean, I'm not, you know, knocking Jason Tatum. But I'm more giving flowers to Andrew Wiggins because you slow down Jason Tatum, them other guys, they really gotta step up. And only one really working is Jalen Brown. So Wiggins is doing a lot more than just scoring, like you said. So he's actually given a really good MVP case. We all know that if they win, who's probably going to get it. But if you watch this finals, he's putting in his he's putting his hat in the in the race for slowing down LeBron for from one assist or rebound from a triple double because he did a good job. Then Wiggins could get. Oh, I was, about, I was about to say, man, I was about to be like, we're about to end this podcast. I'll see you later. I thought you were going to say something else. All right, all right, all right, cool. I see where you're going, though. Yeah. But, um, like, I do think that these two games that I want to get into the whole finals MVP case, whatever, I'll say that these two games, Wiggins definitely made some, made a run after it. <laughs> I, d- I doubt if he'll win. He'll win it. But you can say he's the most important player on this team right now during this run. They don't win these games without him. I agree. You know what I mean? Totally. But got a question to ask you, man. Yes. When you really think about it and you really see how good he how good he really is right now, like, was he the problem or was it Minnesota? And I ask that because I think that a lot of blame should be on Minnesota. Andrew Wiggins had no real solid foundation with the Timberwolves. He had four coaches in six years. And the lack of con- Continuity hurts a player in the early years of the league for the development. So I understand how Wiggins was looking like an unfinished product as a player before he got to Golden State. But now you see in Golden State, he's filling in the gaps in, in, in that in his game. Like you, you see the improvement mainly in his mentality because you know what they say: winning cures all. Makes everybody happy. <laughs> it'll make you do things. It'll make you do things you thought that you couldn't do. And Wiggins is really one win away, 48 minutes away from hushing a lot of the critics' mouth. Right. Everybody in the big old middle finger. Yeah. I, I agree with you. I think it was more Minnesota than it was Andrew Wiggins because they don't have a winning culture, unfortunately. I remember watching a KG talk, and he was, what's his name? Kevin Kill in the office. And KG so I got to stay. I got to stay loyal. Kevin McHale, who was in the front office at the time of at Minnesota, who was KG's like kind of mentor, he was like, dude, leave. This is a dude in the front office. <laughs> so 
like it's Minnesota more so than uh, than Wiggins. Like you said, you're on a bad team, you pick up bad habits, and you get zapped, man. You're working hard and you're losing. And then the guy that they put their money in there, all the eggs in his basket, and Big Cat, who I like, is, yo, all these guys are soft or you think he's soft or and then Jimmy Butler gets there and he's a hard-nosed guy. And it, like you said, and he had four coaches. And you got to remember how young Andrew Wiggins was when he got drafted. He was a kid. You know, all of that matters. That's all on Minnesota because the kid still played, was a solid NBA player, even in all that. So that's all more so on Minnesota than it was on Andrew Wiggins. And I'm glad Golden State didn't let him just fall to the wayside when nobody was trying to sign him like he sucked. I I, I, I didn't even understand that. Yeah, before we move on, this is Real Basketball Talk, No Hot Takes. We're on Spotify Live, so somebody came up to come talk to us. We got Kevin Lucas. Yo, Kevin, what's going on, brother? How you doing, man? Thank you for joining us. Man, how y'all doing? Appreciate y'all for having us. Yes, sir. All right, so to to reset it real quick, we're just talking about the Game 5 recap. I know you just came in. We're like halfway done with the show. But just from the jump, you have the floor for as long as you need to get your point across. What's your thoughts on on Game 5 so far? Not so far, but what's your thoughts on the game? Warriors came out, held down home court, did what they were supposed to do. Game five usually determines the victor of the theory. Of course, they're the more experienced team. They've been here before. They've done that. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown's decision-making down the stretch is big suspect, but I I feel like that's what happens when you're young. You got to go through those growing pains. You got to go through those things where in the playoffs, your flaws get exposed, and that's what they are right now. I, I like that because a lot of people love to crown these duels when they're so young. But I think it's good to see that they have flaws and that means they have areas of improvement to work on. They can go to another level and get even better, which should be scary for the rest of the NBA. But even with Steph not necessarily hitting threes, because he did have a good overall game, in my opinion, he still made the right plays for the most part. He was in the right areas on defense. Like, he impacted the game more than just his usual scoring output. And, of course, I heard y'all touch on it already, but, like, Andrew Wiggins, man, just proving everybody wrong. Minnesota was clearly the problem all along. They're one of the worst franchises in the NBA, in my opinion, when it comes to player development. And now he's in a great system of a team that clearly has given him all the confidence in the world to be the best version of his possible self that we've seen coming out of high school and going to Kansas and being the number one overall pick back in what 2013, I think it was. So it was, it was dope to see, man. I hope he, he continues to do this and just completely changes the narrative around him. But again, the Warriors just held it down and now they one game away from winning they what, four championship now? With this dynamic. Yeah, f- facts, man. Yeah, real, really close to having this other conversation that we would never have if the Golden State Warriors went, because we're not going to do the whole Steph Curry LeBron thing, y'all. I just want to let everybody know that's listening to this podcast. We get a lot of, we get a lot sure. of listeners. We ain't doing that, <laughs> but it's going to be a fun, we might have to partake in that discussion, though, Kevin, to be honest, actually it might be fun to see where everybody think about the legacy, but I. You know what? We'll we'll wait for that for the predictions. All right. So let's move on real quick. We had a Draymond Green sight in everybody. And oh. yeah, <laughs> exactly. No, but seriously, though, like Draymond Green, he's he's the hardest soul of this Warriors team. And he was back. And I just be at awe at times at how he affects games without even scoring much. He had a solid game yesterday. He had eight points, eight rebounds, I think six or seven assists. And the way he can adapt to the ebb and flow of the game like the way he responds in the face of adversity when he doesn't play to his standards, like he, like, like he wasn't playing up to that level in the early part of this series. And what I love most, the toughness, 
like the moment he had with Jason Tatum walking him to the bench, just being an asshole, annoying pest. But that's Draymond. That's what he does. And if y'all listen to the podcast, I said it like two episodes ago that when he's playing on the edge, when he's in that mindset to play all out with force, that's when Draymond Green is at his best. And you see how he came out ready to play, applying pressure on that defense, just doing it, doing what it takes to win. So Kevin and JC, you know, what's your thoughts on Draymond Green's play in game five? Draymond, I've been real critical uh, on Draymond, really critical. But they won by 10. And there was a couple of games he scored two. I think he scored zero a couple of games. They win by 10. He scores eight. Yo, bro, that's big. That's big. And he harassing guys. He's being Draymond, which I hate, but I ain't mad at it. If that's what you do, that's what you do. What's his name? Made a career out of it. Um, Dennis Rodman made a career out of it. If that's what he does, I can't knock him for actually doing what he was supposed to because those numbers are actually what he averages for his career. So you actually put up what you were supposed to put up and you won by almost your average. So that's how important, you know, he is to the team. Now, as much as it gets on my nerves. I would never say he's not the heart and soul of that team. You are absolutely right. He's the engine. He may not be the driver, but he's definitely the engine. I gotta give him his props. I hate to do it. <laughs> I think Draymond Green is more of the of the oil that makes the car move. Because you need okay. the oil to seize up. So I just think that everything that he does is being a connector. Even with his passing, sometimes he just needs to be a release valve. He's just he's just always in the right spot, man. And I'm Kevin. I'm sorry for cutting you off. Oh, um, but like. With, with Draymond, man, he's just special. I know a lot of people don't like him, his style or whatever, but he's just cut from the cloth, man, of, of toughness. And you, you, I think people don't like it because they don't appreciate it because they don't play with him. I think that if you play with him, you see what he do, you'll change your mind really quick and then you'll fall in love with that guy. All right, go ahead, Kev. Yeah, no, I 100% agree with what both y'all saying. It's crazy because I'm a diehard Michigan State fan and I'm not even a big Draymond Green fan. Like, I appreciate what he does. On this game five, like you guys said, he's one of the keys to this team. The offense flows better when it's running through Draymond. As crazy as that sounds, like obviously Steph is amazing on or off the ball, but like when Draymond's playmaking, it just puts the Warriors at an entirely different level. And especially with Clay and Jordan Poole struggling to start off this series, and Draymond was too, of course, but like they need that guy that can move the ball that doesn't have to dominate with the ball, but that can just get other guys involved, get them easier buckets. I think about the play where he threw that like, Backdoor pass to Gary Payton the second for an easy layup. Like guys like Gary Payton the second aren't getting buckets like that. Just getting little easy points like that throughout the course of the game. JC said this is eight points. They win by ten. That that's huge. I don't really like to feed into all this chatter about his podcast because he's literally been doing the podcast the entire playoffs, and now people just want to talk about it because they lost one single game. And they also forget that LeBron got the goddamn shot, which is a full-fledged TV show during the season. A whole TV show with everybody sitting in barber's chairs, getting fake haircuts and everything. <laughs> and shout out to my guy, uh, Vince the Barber, that he's the one that cut LeBron's hair and stuff. He was my barber in LA, so it's, it's dope to see him. But still, it's a full-fledged show. Uh, a podcast, man, come on now. He's in his room, he's bored. And like, what, what can they say? So I, I'm glad that you make that point. Go ahead, go ahead, Kev. He's... He's literally just doing like extra film study. He's still talking about basketball. Like he's not going out of his way to talk about some other things. So all that's just pointless to me. Regardless though, like he just makes everything easier for all of his teammates. And like you said, he's one of those dudes that you hate playing against, but you probably love and cherish playing with him just because of the drive, the passion that he plays with, the energy that he brings, and just the ability to make everyone 
feel comfortable and, and confident. And I think that's huge. And so I think it took him a minute to adjust to this Boston defense. I think that kind of rattled him because let's be honest, <clears throat> excuse me, you can make a case that Boston's probably the best defense in the league this year. And I feel like they made Walkie look, obviously they didn't have Chris Middleton, but they made them look basic. We've seen what they did to the Brooklyn Nets where they just completely had KD and the rest of them stifled. My Miami Heat, they made us just look like it was Jimmy Butler versus the entire, you know, city of Boston. So, like, they, they have really done a great job of clogging up offenses and making you, you know, really rethink everything. So I think Draymond had to settle down and just figure it out. I think as the series continues going, he's only going to get more and more comfortable when you've seen that in game four. We're going to move on and talk about Boston real quick, right? Because um, basically, yes, with sir. me, it's three words with Boston. NAB, not again Boston, because listen, uh, I'm, con- I'm concerned about Boston. And for one, they have no answer for Andrew Wages. Two, they, they did a good job on defense with Steph, um, with Steph Curry for the game, for fourth, but for the Celtics to have the third quarter that they had, hitting all those threes, I think they hit eight in a row at one point. Then to still go into the fourth quarter, down one, I thought that was the gut punch to Boston, right? And as a hooper, mentally, that shit is draining. I've been in a situation like that when you up and you're doing all that work, but the work is working. The defensive game plan was actually pretty good. They was actually staying away from that drop coverage on those pick and rolls that was killing them this series. And... They was they resorted to getting the ball out of Steph Curry's hands, and it actually worked. They was daring the other guys to, to score, which which they did score. But on the other side, you're doing all of that, and your opponent is just right there, like fucking Michael Myers. <laughs> As a hooper, it's 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 definitely like like one of the worst feelings. But I'm also thinking this. I'm thinking that Boston wasn't like, oh shit, Draymond, Jordan Poole, and Gary Payton the second going combine for 37 points. After they was basically daring him to shoot the whole game, and the turnovers, Boston keep on shooting themselves in the foot. I said this in the last mm-hmm. podcast. They're shooting themselves in the foot with these turnovers. And I got some facts for y'all real quick. In this postseason alone, when Boston has 15 or less turnovers in a the game, they're 14-2. and two. And In those games, when they turn the a, turn a ball over 16 times or more, they're 0-7 in these playoffs. But what's your thoughts? What's your thoughts on Boston, man? Go ahead, Kev. Man, it's strange. As I mentioned earlier, like, I still think they have tons of room for improvement. I've been saying for probably three years now that once they get a real point guard, I think they'll oh clearly be the best team in the league. Because a lot, of, you yep. know, I go back and forth with Celtics fans about this all the time. They love Marcus Smart, and I don't mind that. Like, obviously, I understand he's been there his entire career. He gives them everything. I understand that. But he's not a real point guard. Like, being a point guard is like an instinctual thing. Like, you just have to be, like, born into being a point guard. It's not for everybody. It's, it's probably the toughest you know, job on the court. And I just don't trust Marcus Smart with that. And with that, I think that kind of ties a little bit of a role into their turnover problem and also just them just being too casual with it and just partially being immature. But all in all, throughout these playoffs, they've been fantastic. Jason Tatum has arisen. Same thing with Jalen Brown. I feel like Celtics fans still don't give Jalen Brown his just due because he's been just as good, if not certain instances, better than Jason Tatum. Al Horford, getting him back was big time for them. I think he's kind of been like the glue that puts everything together. Grant Williams, a guy that's just emerged throughout the course of the season. And probably the most important player on their defense is Rob Will. Man, I love Rob Will. I've been watching him since he was at Texas A&M. He's been a monster. Sadly, his injury history is long, and, and it goes back to them days at Texas A&M. That's probably the biggest knock on him coming out of the draft. But that dude is just a, a menace on the court. He's such an elite shot disruptor, and he's only going to get better and better 
hopefully the longer and longer he stays healthy. But, oh, no, it's a really good team. Again, I still think they're lacking a point guard, but with the emergence of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and them still being capable of getting better and going to another level, I think Boston's going to be here for a long time and be one of the top teams, not just in the East, but in the entire NBA for years to come. Yeah, I agree. Go ahead, JC. Go ahead. Yeah, man. Kevin, you touched on something that's big. They definitely need a, a legit point guard. I love Marcus Smart. I'm actually a big Marcus Smart fan, but he's not necessarily the one as this system goes. But Boston as a whole, bro, all they got to do is just keep it together, man. If they didn't play such sloppy basketball, this would be a sweep. Because there's, you know, there's little things. So you got this game five. Golden State goes nine for 40, bro, from three. And they still win. They outscored them in the paint, 50 to 36, Golden State. And they're smaller. You can't do that, bro. You can't do that. Now, check this out. This is a big stat. Boston had 18 turnovers, right? But they Golden State only scored nine points off of those 18, which means that they're still defending. But if you just get 10, 11 turnovers, you win. They scored nine. You lose by 10. Then the free throws, bro, all of this is little things, man, little things that they just seem to just not hold on to man you can't lose the golden you can't lose the golden state when they shoot not before i hear where you're coming from but you got to also understand that shit golden state defending too then <laughs> like they defend they did de- they defend they're Facts. defending really well but normally like turnovers don't really be hurting teams especially like it, it, it wouldn't have hurt golden state because they could score but boston it, 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 it hurts boston because they can't shoot they're not that they're, they're not that good. Exactly. So a lot of times, exactly. those turnovers it really directly impacts everything they do. It puts a strain on their offense because, <clears throat> especially if it gets stagnant like it did at times in this series, and especially on their defense, it put a strain on their defense. If Golden State goes on a roll, right. like I said, and right. also I mean, hold on, hold on, and also you gotta understand this too. Like I said, this all going to tie in because in all those losses Boston had so far. And all those games they had with 16 or more turnovers in this series, all them games they scored under 100 points, all right? Like, question is really, like, how can Boston play without turning the ball over? Because it, def- it directly affects everything, directly affects winning. They're going to have to fix it because, like, Absolutely. it could really lead, honestly, to game six. Because before we get to our predictions, it's going to lead to game six with another team celebrating with a Larry O.B. on your home floor. And they're mm-hmm. going to gonna be in that locker room hurt. They're going to be on that locker room hurt yeah. because they, yeah. they did a lot of fixable mistakes and they didn't learn from them. We on the same page, D. Like like you said, a lot of times turnovers don't necessarily hurt you, but it hurts this particular Boston team because, like you said, they can't shoot. Because they're young, they get caught up in that fast-paced L.A. fitness type stupidity, yelling at the team. Like, I'm yelling at the team, stop, man, just No, how about yelling at the refs? Leave the refs alone. Come on now. Leave the referees alone. <laughs> Yo, bro, it's it's bad, man. I it's not it's just annoying because when you see guys that they're bigger, they're stronger, and they're actually a little faster. There's no reason to fall into that 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 gunner because you're gonna lose to Golden State if they if you play that high possession, high shot game, you're gonna lose against Golden State even if they're shooting bad because especially they can't shoot. Golden State, Boston can't shoot so. You get into that fast-paced joint, you're done. You're done. 
They just got to keep it at a slow grind state, use their size, use their length. They're getting hella offensive rebounds and, and putbacks so you can get actually more shots up. You just got to play your game. Don't fall into it because the second you do it, that's when they start doing them sloppy passes, sloppy turnovers. It's not even like forced turnovers sometimes. These unforced turnovers, you get five, six, seven unforced turnovers. It's, it's bad because Golden State gets on the run. Boom, they off to the run. They off to the races. And that's the kind of game they like to play. And that's not the game that Boston is going to play and win this series. They got to keep it together. Got to. That's a fact. Anything you want to add before we move on to our predictions, Kev? Nah, JC just hit it on the head. I think I agree completely, honestly. Okay. All right, shit. Let's move on to our predictions then real quick. So let's talk about game six. And, and honestly, as a fan, I'm looking for game six as a dogfight because you got this. Two scenarios. On one end, you got Boston with their backs against the wall. On the other end, you got Golden State wanting to close it out. Somebody's going to have to give in. All right. Somebody's going to have to give in and say, listen, you're the better man today. And I think, honestly, as a rap, I just feel like with Golden State having all the momentum on their side, Steph Curry's proven track record of bouncing back after subpar shooting performances. Like, I got a great example. I think against the Lakers, he shot 0 for 10 one game. And then the next game, he made 13 threes. I think that Boston might be in trouble. Cue to Bernie Mac. But especially if they keep up with the sloppy plays, the silly mistakes, the bad passes, the bad decision-making, playing careless basketball, it just might be over. So I think that the series is a wrap. It's six. I got Golden State winning 109 to 98. I just think that Boston blew two chances to win this series. And it's just Icarus, man, when he got too close to the sun. It might be that time. I hope I'm wrong. I would like to see a seven-game series just for the aesthetics of podcasts. I could podcast about the NBA more. But I, I just think that is over. Go ahead, Kev. Oh, man. So my original prediction going into the series was Warriors in six. I'm standing by that. Um, like you said, I, I expect it to be a dog fight. And I think the two biggest factors you hit on one of them was that Steph is going to bounce back. Great players, you always expect them to bounce back. They have one bad performance. They shake it off, come right back, and do what they do at a high level. I think the next biggest factor is it's going to be game six. And Clay Thompson has a long history of being dominant in game six situations. And I think this is going to be the one where Clay just goes off. And I expect this to go down all the way to the wire. I'll go Warriors 110 to Celtics 105. And I just think the Warriors are the better team in crunch time. I think they're the more control team. We've already touched on the Celtics turnover woes and different things like that. And I expect them to just squeak out of Boston with the Larry O'Brien trophy or excuse me, trophy and win this game. Because I just I, I feel like they're just the, at this point, I just think they're the more experienced team. They've been here, of course, obviously. But I just feel the, with Steph not getting off as probably he'd like to in the, in the past game, I think he's just due for another big time performance. It could be 40. I'll probably say it's going to be like 35 and some change, maybe. But I'm, I'm rocking with the Warriors in this one, man. All right, go ahead, JC. Send us home. Not to be a contrarian here, I predicted Boston is seven. So I'm going to go with Boston in this game. I actually think they'll win by 10. So I'll go – I think they'll hold Golden State under 100. So I think it'll be 108-98. I think Steph is going to do his thing. But I think as long as he's putting up shots – Believe it or not, I think you're safe because then everybody else is not going to really get involved. So hopefully Steph will put up 30, 40 shots. Not going to put that many up, but if Steph's shooting 30 shots and the other guys aren't, then you're in pretty good shape because then the supporting cast who's playing really well won't evolve. And one guy has never beaten a whole team. So hopefully they'll do that and just 
not be so glued to Steph that you're letting everybody else cook you. But I think Boston is going to have pretty much control of this game. So I say 108-98, Boston. And then it's going to be a grind for game seven. All right, all right, shoot. All right. Kevin made a great point, too, with game six clay. And that's the stuff of legend. And he does that on the road, too. We've seen him at OKC in game six. So that actually is actually yes, really sir. interesting to see. But we're going to get on out of here. But before I go, yo, Kev, don't we got an announcement to make real quick, Kev? Yeah, man. I appreciate you um, bringing me on to the 265 team. Yes, and sir. I love. Can't wait to get it started. We just did pretty much, but can't wait to just continue pumping out this content. And Yes, sir. Yeah, so Kev going to be uh, joining Real Basketball Talk, No Hot Takes. He's joining the 265 media team, actually hosting this show right here. I think you, what you're going to start with the draft or something like that, bro? Yes, sir. Okay, cool. Oh, we try to just be consistent, man, covering women's basketball. JC got his show, Jocks and Nerds United, on the thing. You coming on. It's going to be dope, man, because I really value you. I think that you're good, and I'm a big fan of your show. I'd be trying to leave a voice message on Anchor, but it never lets me because I was like, I'll be ready to do them drops for you because you really, every time you do something, I just feel like I come back, like I learned something. And that's what we do here. Yeah, exactly. That's what we do here at 265. And that's why the name of the show is called, you know, Real Basketball Talk, No Hot Takes. We just keep the integrity of the game. We don't care about what goes on outside the game. It's you joining us to talk basketball. I think that's pretty dope. So yeah, once again, thank you for um, joining us. And also, uh, Thank you, everybody, for listening to Real Basketball Talks, No Hot Takes. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at rbtalk underscore. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Twitter as well, 265 Media. That being said, I'm Daniel Artes. That's Kevin Lucas. That's JC. I want to thank everybody on Spotify Live for joining me tonight. Thank you for listening in the future on wherever you consume the podcast content. Don't forget, once again, to subscribe to the show, rate it, leave an honest review. Love is love. Peace.